I think it's really easy to compare your chapter one to someone else's chapter 25. I think there's a comparison game we all play. It's just human psychology. It's human programming, right? It becomes overwhelming when you compare yourself to someone else. So it's just easier to do you versus you 1% better every single day. That's Eric Sue, co-founder and CEO of ClickFlow, a content intelligence platform that helps companies optimize their SEO. Eric is a legend in the world of growth marketing. He bought his previous company, Single Grain, for $2 and grew it into a multi-million dollar marketing agency. Eric is also a prolific podcaster. He's the co-host of the Marketing School podcast with Neil Patel and hosts the Leveling Up podcast, where he talks to entrepreneurs and marketers about ways to supercharge their business growth. In early 2021, Eric collected some of the most compelling ideas from the podcast and released a book called Leveling Up, How to Master the Game of Life. On today's episode, Eric shares some tips and tricks he talks about in the book and talks honestly about failure, success, and what it takes to grow a business from almost nothing. This is Daniel Sachs, co-CEO of AppDirect, and it's time to decode personal power-ups. Welcome to Decoding Digital, a podcast for innovators looking to thrive in the digital economy. I'm your host, Daniel Sachs, and I'll sit down with other founders, CEOs, and changemakers to decode the trends that are transforming the way we work. Let's decode. Eric, I'm thrilled to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Dan. Certainly. I want to begin by talking about your new book, Leveling Up, How to Master the Game of Life. In the book, you talk about 15 personal power-ups that people can achieve to focus on their passions and develop a winning career. And that really leads me to my first question. I'm really curious, how did you come up with the 15 power-ups and what was your methodology around it? The 15 powers, the whole concept behind the book is that life is just a game and it's a lot easier when you see it as just a series of puzzles to solve. And the 15 power-ups are really just a starting point. So those are just the ones that really resonated the most with me. And a power-up, it could be a habit or it could be a mental model. Um, so usually a positive habit, right? That's a power-up. You can have power-downs like negative habits too. But I chose those 15 because you might have 15 that resonate with you, but it's really just a starting point for people. And the whole book is really just a philosophy, right? So 15 is the starting point, but there's thousands of power-ups that you can go on and collect and you have to keep reinforcing some of them as well or else they kind of start to decay. What are some of the most powerful power-ups for you personally? Yeah, so I have a chapter in the book called Thievery. And I like that one most because there's cognitive dissonance, I think, for people because we all like to think that we're original and we hold that to be very sacred. But reality is those people listening to this podcast or those people that read books, we're all just really learning from each other and we're building on the shoulders of titans, right? That's kind of the cliche that you hear. So I remember when I played a game called EverQuest when I was about 12 years old, it's kind of precursor to a game called World of Warcraft, which is a very addictive MMORPG games. I won a championship and these are one-on-one battles with other people, but on preliminaries, I got destroyed. These are one-on-one battles and I got lucky with the seeding, the timing, and I saw someone they played a different way. And I just copied them and I made it my own and I destroyed everyone else. Before I got swept in preliminaries, but after that, I swept everyone else. So at 12 years old, I was like, whoa, I think I just need to like learn from other people and then just ethically steal, right? That's what we're doing all the time. And if you look at SpaceX's rockets, they come back to Earth 
that's a big innovation. But fundamentally, the base design really looks similar to the 50s and 60s, the rockets that you saw back then. And so we're all just kind of iterating, we're building on top. I think there's just a lot of pressure to have to come up with something original. When you have to think of something original, you end up overthinking and you end up not doing anything. So that's why I really love thievery. Awesome. Can you list off some other power-ups? Yeah. So thievery is one. Another one would be the apprentice mentality. So there's a whole lot that goes into just thinking like a beginner, right? Also understanding that there's always new information. And sure, you can hold your views firmly, but just understand that if you're presented with new data, be open to changing on a dime. So for me, I often try to be the dumbest person in the room or act like I'm stupid. So then that way people will talk to me like I'm a five-year-old. And I learn a lot that way. And I'm open to changing my views all the time. So that's another one. And another one would be endurance. I think part of just life and even entrepreneurship or investing is just enduring. Who knows when the next crash is going to come? But when the next crash comes, people talk about having diamond hands and holding, right? Like I have this Pokemon card over here that I paid two grand for. And I'm just going to hold this forever because I just enjoy the art. So a lot of these concepts, these are just philosophies. This shapes how I'm programmed. I think we're all programmed a different way. Those are just three that kind of come to mind. You use the term standing on the shoulders of titans. And we have this concept of a digital hero, which is someone has a set of characteristics, which are not dissimilar to your power-ups, right? So it could be tenacity, vision, foresight, perseverance, right? And these digital heroes are people who can really transform themselves and their businesses and society in the digital economy. And we're actually undertaking a academic study to look at and validate some of those characteristics. But it's interesting, the similarity that you mentioned between the power-ups and the digital hero characteristics. But when you talk about shoulders of titans, how would you define a titan? And I know you speak to many impressive people. Can you give me your kind of personal purview as how you define a titan? Yeah, for me, it's just anybody that's remarkable. Someone, when you talk about them, it's like, oh man, that guy's impressive, right? Or that girl. And so one guy that comes to mind, when I think about all the people I've interviewed on the Leveling Up podcast, one person that I keep remembering is not necessarily the most successful entrepreneur. He's just a creator. His name is Ron Klein, and he's known as the grandfather of possibilities. So he created the magnetic credit card stripe that you have on the back of the cards. And uh, he created all these other inventions. And when he got sick, he read the encyclopedia cover to cover. And he participated in kind of the senior Olympics. And I think he won gold. He's just really interesting. And there's a lot I learned from him. And I think what I learned from just having conversations with him is he just enjoys life. It's not about making the most money in the world. It's not about trying to destroy everyone. It's just like enjoying what you do, making the most of the journey. And that's what it is. So I'll have these kind of pockets of conversations or pockets of wisdom that I get from people. Another example would be just working with my coach. So his name's Jerry Colonna, and he coaches some of the most awesome SaaS CEOs in the world. And the wisdom I get from him coaching all these other people, he stacked all that wisdom. And now he knows how to ask me the best questions. And just yesterday, just huge insight that I wouldn't have uncovered myself. So he's standing on the shoulders of Titans, and I'm benefiting from that wisdom. So that's how I think about it. That's interesting. There's like a multiplier effect there. One of the things I thought was really interesting is in the book, specifically when you were younger, your parents and peers mentioned that you were a failure. And I thought, wow, A, that's super intense. And I can't believe you're vulnerable enough to share that. But can you expand on that and kind of share how you were able to turn your weaknesses into strengths? Yeah. So I keep referring back to programming again. And this is kind of how I've kind of rewired my brain. It doesn't feel good when people tell you that you're a failure right in the moment, but I've learned to kind of enjoy that. So I know whatever I'm getting from people, that's fuel because long-term it's going to make me stronger. 
I remember fourth grade, I think my dad wouldn't talk to me on my birthday because I didn't do well in division. And I remember my dad would say things like, you know, you're so behind versus other people. And my mom's like, look at this kid, look at this kid. How come you can't be like this? How come you can't be like this? So after you hear it for such a long time, it's just over and over. Like, how can I reframe this to actually make it positive? So just saying, okay, it sucks in the moment, but I know it's going to be great. So now in business, you're going to hear people that talk crap about you. There's going to be competitors and all that. Now it's just all great. Now, whenever I get that, I'm like, give me more. Because if I start to sulk about it, if I start to be sad about it, it's not helpful. So that's how I deal with it. That's kind of the reframe. And I, I think a lot of life is just, again, I go back to programming, but a lot of it's just kind of reprogramming, rewiring things. And then you can think differently. I used to think it was a bunch of BS when people would say, oh, it's all about mindset. And then you get a little older and you realize, oh yeah, it is all about mindset. Completely agree. Let's go back to the programming concept. So do you recall like a memory specifically when you were a child that your parents or someone specifically said you're a failure, you broke down and that was a low point? Or is it more just consistent reinforcement? I don't think I ever broke down and cried, but it is very emotionally taxing. Even right now, I'm recalling those emotions and it does feel emotional. Like it sucks, right? I think because I started playing games more, games started to teach me how to reframe everything. Because when I started playing games, I realized, oh, all the stuff I'm learning, teamwork, camaraderie, perseverance, finding the best team. And the way I got recruited was very similar to how startups recruit. And I'm like, wow, this is no different. Here's the reframe. This is no different than playing sports. And just nobody sees it right now. Because parents understand sports, like you gain all those benefits too. And just the same thing with sports. If you overtrain, you might tear your ACL or blow a muscle out. And if you overtrain in the world of gaming, the virtual world or the shadow world, you can actually start to deteriorate mentally as well. And then also deteriorate physically. So it seems like you're a gamer and an advocate of it, but how do you balance the good side of it and the bad to your point? So I can't play anymore because I'm just like, business is the ultimate game to me. I think life is the ultimate game, but business is one of the best games, I think. So back in the day, what I would have told myself, because I would fight with my parents all the time. And I think people listening to this right now, they might be fighting with their kids because their kids want to play more games. I think had I had an open dialogue with my parents, had they asked, hey, why do you like this so much? What are you getting out of it? I think we would have had an open dialogue and we would have compromised. So I think, like I mentioned earlier, you can overtrain in sports. I think as a parent, you just have to make sure the children, they aren't overtraining in the world of gaming, but also understanding that they might be getting certain benefits from it too, and you can work together on it. There's times in life when we all get stuck. And I find when you play video games, you definitely have those situations where you're kind of like forced stuck. Yeah. It's like a puzzle you can't figure out or a boss you can't beat. When that happens, what's your advice for someone who might get stuck by using power-ups? I remember a lot of scenarios where I'll be stuck. I used to just go on the internet and ask people, right? Or I'll just Google a bunch of things and I'll find solutions. Basically, it's the same thing as running a business. But if you're running a company, you're constantly iterating. You're making little tweaks, right? So I'm making little tweaks. I'm getting more data and then I'm making little tweaks. And I might screw up again and I'll kind of slowly course correct. The second part to being blocked is I'll try to brute force it. And I think maybe it's Einstein that said this. And I'm paraphrasing right now because I forgot the exact quote, but it's not that he's a genius. He just sticks with problems longer. It might be Edison, actually. And I think that's what it is. At 22, when I read Think and Grow Rich, it's like, oh, yeah, persistence is probably one of the biggest things. I think most people just end up giving up too easily. And what I find with building an audience with the podcast, like after the first year, only nine downloads a day. After the second year, only 30 downloads a day. But now cumulatively, we're at like 1.6 million downloads a month, right? But that just takes time to compound two to three years. And same thing with business. I find the same thing. Usually three years to get something going, unless you hit lightning in a bottle the first year. And usually if it's lightning in a bottle, it might be, I think a majority of the time it's easy come, easy go. 
And so I think it's a lot of understanding that, hey, all the great things that are built around you take time to do. And there's a wall and you get to decide if you want to beat that level, beat the boss to your point. And you don't deserve to go to the next level until you beat the current one. And it's fine if you don't want to go to the next level. You can stay there. Like that's what life is, but it's just a series of levels. I remember when I was just starting the business, watch the Facebook movie. And there was this moment where like they click a button and the users go to a million. It looks so easy. <laughs> and when we launched, we clicked the button and there was like nothing, crickets. Nothing. But no one talks about that. <laughs> How do you think you or others that are influencers can help get that out in the field? I think it's human nature. Right? I think what tends to get headlines is controversial things get headlines, but also people want to talk about the big successes, right? Look at how much I raised on TechCrunch, right? That's like when you get the ingredients for cooking dinner. I think that was from a tweet. So I think it's really easy to compare your chapter one to someone else's chapter 25. I think there's a comparison game we all play. It's just human psychology. It's human programming. It becomes overwhelming when you compare yourself to someone else. So it's just easier to do you versus you 1% better every single day. And forget about all the headlines. Because I think if we think about what Charlie Munger says about incentives, all these big headlines that you're seeing, these people are writing these headlines because there's a formula that works. It's either a big success or it's either a huge controversy. And these will drive the clicks, which will in turn drive the ad dollars, right? I think people need to think about how are all these businesses incentivized? How's everything set up in terms of structures? And then you start to understand, oh, okay, maybe I'll just ignore all this stuff and then I'll just worry about myself. How would you define an incredible brand out there? So to me, at the end of the day, I think a brand tells a story. When I think about Nike, the best athletes in the world wear Nikes. I think about that's why I buy Nikes. So Nike stands out to me. The big brands like the Apple stands out to me. Geico stands out to me because you always remember. They keep it so simple, right? 15 minutes. And like that keeps sticking with me over and over. It's the gecko, 15 minutes over and over, right? If I had to talk about a tech brand that I think is doing innovative stuff, I would go to HubSpot. They bought the hustle, but now they're looking at acquisitions pretty hardcore. They've created a category for themselves with inbound marketing. And they're just very smart about how they do things. They've been very intentional. So I would probably name them as a nice tech brand. You mentioned some of the brands like a Geico and others that obviously ace brand, ace TV ads. But as they're trying to capture a new audience digitally, what strategies they need to take to shift? Yeah, I think more people are talking about this now. But I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my sense is after that, you guys pre-COVID, you guys were doing events and things like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I think the big benefit of doing events or any type of peer groups, it's the community. I think the community is... If we talk about media, like owning a website as a nice moat, I think community is even stronger than that because a community is where you have people that interact with each other and they're helping each other out. I think when you build an audience, it's me or you talking to a bunch of people or broadcasting, and it's not as strong as having a group. People come back for that community. Let's think about Saster as an example, right? So pre-COVID, one of the largest SaaS conferences, if not one of the biggest ones in the world. I go there every year, not for the speakers. I go there because I see the same people over and over. So I think there's that type of lock-in. And when you have that type of lock-in, it helps with retention at the end of the day, right? Because people keep talking about it. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I'll stay with it longer. More people talk about it. There's that brand affinity as well. So I try to think about what can I build for the long-term? Like you're doing this podcast right now is you're trying to build an audience for the long-term, Right. Because I used to come from the internet marketing, affiliate marketing world before I started working in tech. And so I understand both worlds. One world is really focused on short-term profits. The other one is like, how can I focus on making the product or the experience so good while being pretty good at acquisition? So I like the tech marketer perspective more, where it's long-term thinking. You mentioned a lot of the coaching that Jerry Colonna might be giving you or others. What lessons do you learn from just the art of being coached? Yeah, 
I tend to talk fast, but I have this turtle right next to me over here. So I got this turtle when I was in Puerto Rico. But one of the key things I got from coaching or working with him, we started looking at, let's say, feedback from my leaders as an example, right? And then you'd see the same feedback over and over. And then we would look at it. It's like, oh, it's hard to keep up with Eric. Sometimes he moves at his own pace, blah, blah, blah. And then we started talking about other scenarios going on in my life. And it all came down to this whole thing around, what is it saying, Eric? It says, slow down. And so I've tried to talk slower. I try to work slower now. And I don't have these crazy high expectations of everyone. But that's just one example of coaching. And this type of coaching is different because I've had coaches in the past where they tried to hold me accountable. And I'm like, I don't really need that. I think I'm a pretty good self-starter. But Jerry doesn't really give me the answers. He asked me very specific questions. And so an example yesterday, what we realized was that a lot of my behavior comes from my childhood, talking about my mom and all that. And my mom, she's kind of the matriarch of the family. She's the breadwinner. But at the same time, that also makes her very controlling, right? And so I was living under that a good chunk of my life. And so I'll do whatever it takes now in my life to not be controlled. But that also means if I need to control someone else, like micromanage them, I don't like that too, because I feel like I'm being controlled. So if I'm going to work with any type of leader or like, let's say like a life partner or anything like that, I don't want to feel controlled. And I want to feel like I need to control you. But that all came down from like me talking about my childhood and then boom, it like everything ties in together. So I think a lot of working with a guy like Jerry is rewiring a lot of the programming that I had or just untangling a lot of that. Because at the end of the day, we spend 18 to 22 years with our parents. So there's a lot to work through there. It's interesting because we started with the topic of power-ups and we got pulled back into the cognitive and psychological parts. But I find that when you're thinking about building a brand and thinking about being bold and thinking about your mission, a lot of it's just your psychology. Like I remember selling in the early days, if I believed that I was adding value and I would visualize the success for myself and for the client, yeah. I would be able to sell a much bigger deal size. Yep. And all it was was my psychology and confidence that we could deliver great things to this client and that would show up and it would manifest the deal being done. So I do find that individual psychology across an organization has a huge impact on if that organization can achieve its mission or not due to that confidence. Is that one of the insights that you have? Yeah. So on the agency side, we just had a new sales leader start. And then he noticed immediately the entire organization is all self-starters. And I think really, Dan, you're leading after rep. I think everything starts from the top. I think people tend to emulate what the leader is doing. So all the things I heard about culture in the past, which I used to think was a bunch of baloney when I was younger, it all comes into play because culture at the end of the day is just your operating system and it's how you do things. That all comes down to programming again. So your psychology ultimately cascades down to the entire team and like it or not, they're going to behave like you. By the way, the top CEOs in the world, there's only one thing they all obsess over and it's culture at the end of the day. And communication is important, but that all ties into how you communicate the culture over and over and over again. So what we're talking about is kind of pie in the sky, but it's what matters. Got it. Well, last question. I want to test you live here. What would your headline be for this podcast? How to think long-term. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. That's actually not a good headline. But that's what comes to mind first. I'd have to think about it. So it takes us time to come up with good headlines. Sometimes it could be like five to 10 minutes. So I wouldn't want to give you something half-assed off the cuff. Got it. But give us insight as to how you would come about creating and crafting this headline. Like, What are the debates? What are you testing? Are you Googling things? Yeah. So I think what I'd be looking for from this podcast specifically is what is the key takeaway, right? So there's got to be one key takeaway that's interesting. So let's say, okay, we're going to have one guy on the podcast. He built a YouTube channel from zero 
to 3.2 million subscribers in five months. So that's an interesting headline because it's time bound. The time is very short and it's a remarkable result, right? So I don't know what remarkable result I talked about here. It could be how I bought a company for $2 and then almost tanked it and then turned it around. So it has to be something that's eye-catching to get people to click. So tell us about that story. So that single grain, the agency, I would never do that again in hindsight. So my podcast co-host, he asked me if I wanted to come save this agency called Single Grain, which was at the time, a long time ago, was an SEO agency. And so I was like, okay, no, why would I do that? I've worked in the agency when I was much younger. It sucks. It doesn't scale as well. It's terrible. And then I reframed. I was like, oh, you know what though? If I'm able to turn it around, I could take the cash flows from the business and then take all those cash flows as my yearly angel investment and just go redeploy that cash or put it back into the business. And so I decided to join the company. I joined as a number two. I had 10% of the company. And six months into the job, the four other partners wanted out. My co-host, Neil, was like, hey, you should get out. He was also a partner. He's like, there's no brand equity here. There's nothing. This is a failing company. It's a sinking ship. And I was like, hey, why don't I give it a shot? Why don't I pay you $1 for 10% of your shares and another dollar for another partner's? So $2 out of pocket. And then the rest was seller finance. So it was paid through the profits of the company. And I put in a contingency that if the company failed, I would own nothing. And so my thinking here long-term again is asymmetric upside, my upside's unlimited if it works. Downside is I get an MBA very quickly. And I was 26 or 27 at the time. So took over the company. And I made it go from bad to worse in the first year because we dropped all the way down to one employee because I read this book called Let My People Go Surfing. And it was from the Patagonia co-founder. Great book, by the way, but I took it too literally. And I was like, yeah, people don't want to be micromanaged. People don't want to be told what to do, blah, blah, blah. So I stopped showing up to the office, right? I was like, yeah, people can figure it out. You hired smart people. Yeah, I'm like, okay. I need to realize the whole trust but verify thing from Ronald Reagan, it's everything. And so um, that's what happened. My outside accounting firm called me and said, hey, it might be time to shut it down. So that was probably my lowest point. And then talk about how it got brought up again. <laughs> I like the failures more. So that was the failure. And over the years, when we dropped all the way down to one employee, thankfully, the SEO work that I was putting into the website started to work. So we're getting a lot of leads coming in, but we had nobody to fulfill it. So I'd refer all the leads out to another agency. And we found out that they would do a good job with closing, but they couldn't retain. So I was like, okay, what's the next level above that? Again, levels. Then we started hiring contractors. It's like, okay, they do a better job of retention, but still not that good. It's like, okay, let's level up. We have more resources now. Now let's start to hire full-time people again. So we converted the agency to a paid media agency, mostly focused on technology companies. And now we were getting all the leads, the Ubers, the Amazons of the world, and then we're actually closing them. And the company just kept ramping and snowballing from there. And then the whole thesis played out. We still have the agency, which drives great cash flows, got the software, the events business, kind of the investment arm as well. Like all that stuff is built out. But if I were to do it again, I probably wouldn't do that. I'll just do it from scratch. So <laughs> so that $2 was returned too? Yeah. Yeah. The $2 was paid immediately, actually. Okay. Yeah. But you've done well with it. Yeah. That was probably the best bet of my life. Incredible. Well, congrats. Eric, it's been awesome having you on the show, covering topics ranging from cognitive psychology to vulnerability to gaming and above all to speak to how you level up. So thank you so much. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks. Cheers. On the next episode of Decoding Digital. One of the things that we say often is great managers are not born, they're made. So the good news is that it's never too late and it's something that you can keep working on and with enough effort, enough repetition, you too can be a super manager. 
CEO of Fellow.app and host of the Supermanagers podcast, Aiden Mirzai. Thanks for listening to Decoding Digital. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. To learn more, visit decodingdigital.com. Until next time.